lot of Bible ground has been covered. And I assure you, when as much of the Word of God as has been presented in these services each night and then Sunday morning, uh, I know uh, something has had to take place in your life. Uh, something uh, that comes from the Word of God has bound to have touched and affected your life. And I'm just rejoicing at what the Lord has done in my life and the way my life has been affected. And I, I believe with all of my heart I'll be a better Christian from having been here. And certainly I trust a better servant of God uh, from having heard the Word and had my heart cleansed and my uh, heart moved. Uh, it's just been a real blessing. And I want to thank you, Doctor, uh, for being faithful in the preaching of the Word of God. It's been a joy to my heart. And uh, I hope I'll be able to hear this man uh, time and time again. And uh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to listen to tapes and uh, go, go home and tell my wife, I want you to sit down and hear this. I want that one on the wife's part, too, that tape you got back there. And uh, I'll just slip that one in without her knowing it. It kind of reminds me of a fellow who went to hear a preacher preach one time. And, boy, I mean, he just, he really got hot on this thing of the husband being the head of the house. And uh, the fellow really took it to heart. And uh, his wife wasn't in service. So he decided uh, he would just go home and really put this thing in its proper place. And uh, he walked into the kitchen, and his wife was standing at the sink washing dishes. And he walked over to her, and he said, uh, Woman, I want you to know from now on I am the head of this house. Do you understand? And she just walked over right up in his face and said, We'll see about that. And uh, he just, as at that, uh, just hauled off and knocked the poor soul clean across the kitchen and uh, didn't see her for two whole weeks after that. And at the end of the second week, he could barely see her through one eye. So I tell you, you better be careful how you put some of the things in practice. But do put it in practice. And uh, if you'll do it, uh, as the Lord intends it, and in the Spirit of Christ, I believe the right result will come. Uh, i got to tell you this, too. Uh, you've gotten so much preaching, kind of uh, makes me think of a, a mother and her little boy who, after a Sunday service, came out, uh, the pastor standing back there at the door, and shaking hands to everybody, and everybody's complimenting the preacher, you know. And uh, so this lady came to the pastor, and she said, Oh, pastor... Oh, what a message. I am just full of your message. And he said, well, I'm certainly glad to hear that, sister. And uh, he looked down at the little boy and put his hand on his head and patted him and said, Son, how about you? He said, Yep, I got my belly full too, preacher. <laughs> so I'll tell you, you've got a bushel basket full around here uh, during this week. And I want to compliment you for being faithful. I realize that many of you, uh, you worked at 5.30, some of you 6 o'clock, and some even later, and uh, you've just been so faithful. I want you to know you have encouraged my heart, and you have blessed me by your faithfulness and the show and the exhibiting of your love for Christ and your love for the Word of God and your love for this, His church. I want to thank you uh, for being that testimony to me. Now then, this evening, uh, let's turn in our Bibles, please, to the book of the Psalms. Uh, 
I'd like to read beginning at verse or, or Psalm 32, and we'll read verses 1 and 2, and read also verse number 5. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, and also verse number 5. Dr. Lackey concluded his message tonight and said something to us about joy. And our Lord indeed is concerned about the happiness, the joy of His children. I'm concerned about the joy, the happiness of my children. It grieves me when I find that they're sad and despondent. I like to see my children joyful and happy in their life. And I believe that you do too as well. And I believe our preacher has tonight told us how we can have that joy and straight from the Word of God. All wrapped up, as he so ably said to us, in the fact of our obedience, our submission to what our Lord has prescribed and what He has commanded. Now, when there is disobedience to that, disobedience, of course, is sin. And I do not know of any greater culprit nor any more effective thief of the joy of the life of a child of God than the thief of sin. When there is known sin in our life, we're conscious of sin in our life, then we are robbed of the state of happiness and of joy in our life. So the psalmist writes at chapter 32, Psalm 32 and verse 1, and he talks of the happy person. The word blessed could as well be rendered a happy. Blessed or happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed or happy is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth, that's a kind of an accountant's term, a bookkeeper's term, uh, the Lord uh, happy is the man whom the Lord imputeth not, doesn't put in his record, uh, not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is uh, no guile. Now look at verse number 5, and the psalmist says, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. I do not know anything that is more needed in the life of human beings than the need of forgiveness. For simply, the Bible tells us that all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. The fact is, all men are guilty of sin. And often, even the child of God, though forgiven and saved and made a member of the family of God, yet often the child of God needs forgiveness of his own sin. So the need of forgiveness, I think, is apparent in the fact that all men are guilty of sin, and the most needed item is represented by that fact, and we need that forgiveness. 
You remember our Lord taught us in that great prayer and the model prayer, and He taught us to pray and forgive us our trespasses, our debts, our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. So our Lord knew that you and I would need forgiveness of sin. I think there are three areas we could say that man needs to experience forgiveness. First, he needs the forgiveness of God. The forgiveness of his sin that he has committed against the Heavenly Father. And then there is a second need for forgiveness, and that is in relation to others, to those about us. There is something within us that demands the need for the forgiveness of those against whom we have sinned or whom we have wronged. As long as there's the consciousness that we have done something of, a, of an offensive nature and of a hurtful nature to someone else, there is that need to know that that person has forgiven us. That's the reason it's essential for a child, when he has done wrong, to come to his parent and say, Dad or Mama, I did thus and so, and I'm sorry, I want you to forgive me. So there is the need of the forgiveness of others. But yet there is a third area of forgiveness, where a third area where we need forgiveness, and yet so little is said about this need of forgiveness, and that is the need to forgive oneself of the wrong that he has done. Now, oftentimes we experience the forgiveness of God and we experience the others who have forgiven us as we have asked their forgiveness for some wrong. But then we go through life flagellating, beating ourselves, condemning ourselves. And I think all because of our own pride and the unwillingness of our own selves to accept the fact that we did wrong and thus we're unwilling to face it and thus go without our own forgiveness. So a lot of people go through life in a spirit of self-condemnation. But if God is willing to forgive us and He is offended greatly by our sin, but yet if He is willing to forgive us our sin, certainly we need to learn how to forgive ourselves of the wrong that we have done as well. Do you follow me in what I'm saying? Nod your head. Do it like that, will you? All right. Now, that's not only helpful to me, but that's a good exercise for you. It'll get rid of that double chin if you'll do it enough. All right, good. Now, let's look more carefully. The need of forgiveness then is apparent as is taught in the Word of God. But forgiveness uh, does not come without a cost. There is a price for forgiveness. We say, what are you saying? Do you mean to tell me uh, that there's a cost that I'm going to have to pay in order to be forgiven? Oh, not so much in that area or in that vein of thought do I mean the cost, but yet I speak of the cost that another has paid for us that we could be forgiven. It costs me nothing to be forgiven of my sin. 
the forgiveness of my sin comes from the very grace of God. And God Himself has provided that forgiveness for me. He has paid the price for that forgiveness. And all that I must do is come before Him, repentant of my sin, and by faith receive that forgiveness that He has purchased for my sin. The Bible reveals to us that the wages of sin is death. And our Lord went through the very death that you and I deserve, that we could be forgiven our sin. The Word of God teaches also, you recall, in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, chapter 17 and verse 11, that it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. And then we read something like this in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 9 and verse 22. And the latter part of that verse says that without shedding of blood, there is no remission. That is, there is no canceling, there is no canceling or settling of the debt of our sin that is against us without the shedding of blood. So what I'm trying to get you to understand is that in order for God to be able to forgive me and to forgive you of your sin, He had to pay the price, and the price that He play, paid was the price of the agony and the suffering and the ignominy and the shame of that death on the cross where He shed His blood for us that our sin, our sin debt, could be canceled. John had the same thing in mind when he introduced Jesus at the baptism of the Jordan. And in John 1, verse 12, chapter 1, verse 29, John introduced him saying, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. In other words, the Lamb is that one that is to be offered as a sacrifice. The life is to be taken. The blood is to be shed. And Jesus was the very price that God paid in order for my sin and for yours to be forgiven. In other words, here's what I'm trying to say. He bore the cost and paid the price for my forgiveness. I think it will straight to you like this. The man who forgives pays a tremendous price. He pays the price of the sin that he forgives. It's like this. If I come into your home and should break a very priceless heirloom, maybe a hand-me-down for generations, and it is of great value to you, but if I break that vase, or do they call it a vase, I think the only difference is the five and ten cent store and the china shop. But anyway, if I break that vase of yours, and yet I turn to you, I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry for having done so, yet I have no price to pay. I couldn't pay it if, uh, I couldn't pay the price at all. I turn to you and say, oh, I'm so sorry. And I want you to forgive me for breaking this this very priceless heirloom of your family, please forgive me. And you turn to me and say, I forgive you. Everything's all right, preacher. It's all right. Uh, it's all settled. Ah, listen, I didn't pay a price at all in order to be forgiven, but you paid the price. You bore the cost of that forgiveness that you have offered to me. Do you see that? So then it did cost something for God to forgive us of our sin. 
And oh, I think it would make a difference in our life. And when it comes to temptation to do wrong and to sin, I think it would make a world of difference in what we do if we could only remember the price our God had to pay in order for us to have our sin forgiven and cleansed and washed away. Now I think I do need to say something about this. Though it costs me nothing to have God forgive me of my sin, yet I don't want you to go away thinking that you won't pay for your sin. I mean, by that there's a consequence to sin. There's something that's going to affect your life. There's a scar that'll be left there. There is a uh, there is a tragedy in your life that'll never be erased. Oh yes, God will forgive the sin, but the very cost or the price rather and the payment for that sin, you're going to pay perhaps the rest of your life on this earth. Let me illustrate it like old Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to do. He said, for example, he said, here's a man who goes down to a bar and he gets dog drunk. And in that drunken state, he gets in a fight with another fellow in the bar, and he breaks a bottle of, bo- a bottle of booze uh, and takes that old broken, jagged bottle and uh, rams it into the fellow's eye, and that eye literally is torn or cut out of that fellow's head. Now, that fellow who was drunk like that and lost his eye could certainly go to the Lord Jesus, confess his sin, and know his forgiveness, and certainly God would forgive the old drunk and cleanse him and make it just like it had never happened. But won't you see something? That fellow go through the rest of his life with a missing eye. There will be a scar there the rest of his days while he lives on this earth. And I want to tell you now, though God paid the price to forgive your sin, there is a consequence to sin. And be sure your sin will find you out. The emotional scar, the mental scar, and often the physical scar, the scar upon your your life, that's going to be there. Though God will forgive you of your sin. So there is indeed a cost to the matter of forgiveness. But then let me come quickly to the matter of the scope of that forgiveness. What does it, what does it include? Somebody comes to me every so often and said, Oh, preacher, oh, listen, after they told me something about their life, and they asked me this question, Can God really forgive me of this sin? Can God forgive me of this sin? I want to tell you that the forgiveness of our Lord takes in the sin. I don't care what the sin. God said, I'll forgive you. I'll cleanse you. I paid the price. And I will forgive you as my child of whatever sin that is in your life. There's nothing He will not forgive. I look in the Bible and I find sad and stained and scarred pages on the life of some of the greatest men of all of the word of the Bible. I think, for example, of Adam who committed a terrible sin, a sin of willful disobedience. By the way, I've had so many people say to me, and you have too, I'm sure. What about willful sin? Will God forgive a man of willful sin? Well, I want, to say, I want to say this. I don't know of any sin that's not willful. In fact, you had to will it or you wouldn't have done it to start with. The devil didn't take you by the hands and just say, Hey, there's nothing you can do about this. You don't have any choice. You're going to do it. Uh, there's no choice. Oh, listen. I'm trying to get you to see Adam could have as easily made a choice not to disobey God as to make the choice to disobey God. 
He had a choice and a will, but yet there was a willful sin. But I believe God forgave Adam, don't you? The Bible bears that out. And then not only that, but God forgave old Noah of the sin of drunkenness. Oh, how good God had been to Noah and his family. And he gets on the ark, and though all the rest of the po- folks of that age were destroyed in the judgment waters of the flood, Noah was spared. And now when that ark comes to rest on the dry land, and finally the door is open, uh, the first thing you find out about Noah was that he gets dog drunk and commits a terrible sin. Oh, but did God forgive him? I tell you, he did. And the Bible bears it out. His name is registered there in the 11th chapter of Hebrews in the great hall of faith. I think of yet that great patriarch Abraham, a man godly, a man of whom our Lord said, He's my friend forever. You know, isn't that a wonderful commentary in a man's life? I'd like that to be able to be written on a tombstone, not by men. But I wish God could write that on my tombstone if I should die. And that God could say, He's my friend. It's one thing for me to say, I'm God's friend. It's another thing for Him to say, I'm His. And the Lord said of Abraham, He's my friend. He's my friend forever. And oh, how God bless this man. But listen to it. The Bible tells a sad story of Abraham telling a terrible lie, guilty of dishonesty, lying to the king of Egypt about his wife. Oh no, she's my sister, he said. Abraham was trying to save his own hide. He was afraid the king had cut his head off so he could take this pretty woman. Oh, what a sin. But God forgave Abraham and God cleansed him and set him straight in his life. I think then of Jonah, rebellious as any man ever had done time to be. But God forgave Jonah. I think of the terrible sins of David, the sin of adultery, and the sin of murder, the sin of lying, the sin of deceptiveness. And yet David finds wondrous forgiveness as he comes before God praying that beautiful prayer that's pinned for us in the Psalms. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Oh, how miserable he was. And he prayed that the Lord had brought out his transgressions by his tender mercies. And God forgave David of that terrible and that awful sin. And then I think of Simon Peter who denied our Lord, swore that he didn't know Him, and Jesus stand right inside the court there, rebuking up false accusations brought against Him. And now they said, hey, you're one of His, aren't you? And Simon Peter said, not in your life. I don't know Him. I don't know Him. And yet our Lord forgave Simon Peter. Evident is it not, for yonder he stood after the resurrection on the day of Pentecost, and he preached that marvelous sermon, and all those hundreds and thousands of folks came to know Christ as their personal Savior. I want to tell you, I don't care what the sin, God said, I'll blot out your transgressions. I will forgive you of all your iniquities. I'll forgive you of your sin. I'm glad I have a message like that. I'm glad I can go to a prison and stand with a man behind bars and say to him, Man, Jesus can forgive you. I stood in Parchment Penitentiary in the state of Mississippi on death row and stood talking to a man guilty of a terrible crime, blew up a Jewish synagogue, murdered a school teacher, and just a terrible record. I stood there and talked to him how Jesus could forgive him. And then this man could hear him say with joy, Yes, he has forgiven me. I'll pay for my crime. Yes, and I deserve to pay for it. And I deserve to die for what I've done. But oh, listen, he's forgiven me of my sin. 
Oh, he'll forgive. I don't care what the vile, what the sin may be, vile as it is, he'll forgive. That's the scope of his forgiveness. Look at Psalm 103, just a second, and look down at verse number three. And the psalmist David said, "Well, let me just let, let me just read verses one, two, and three, and you get the whole gist of the matter." Psalm 103, and the day, and the psalmist sung, saying, "Bless the Lord, O my soul." And all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Watch this. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. How many? All thine iniquities. Who healeth all thy diseases. Ah, He said, I'll forgive all of them. Every last one of them, I'll forgive. He paid the price to do it, and He's willing to do it if you'll just let Him do so in your life. Well, that brings me finally to this, and that is, how can I obtain that forgiveness? I didn't say attain it. I said obtain it. World of difference. No, I'm not worthy to be forgiven. I do not deserve to be forgiven, but all God said you can have it. I offer it to you. Now, oftentimes the Christian gets bogged down with sin in his life, and he wonders, what in the world am I going to do? I've committed this terrible thing. I've done this terrible thing. I've, I've had this awful sinful attitude. This, that, this act has been in my life. What am I going to do? How can I obtain that forgiveness? Sometimes folks try to work hard to get it. They'll go, they'll fire up the engines, they'll do a little bit more, and they'll read a little bit harder, and they'll go a little bit more and give a little bit more. But the Lord has the secret for you. And I, if you don't know this verse, and I'm assuming that in this church that loves the Bible, I would dare say that perhaps everybody in this congregation knows the verse and could quote it when I tell you it is found in 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9. Now if you don't know this verse, you need to memorize it. And I will tell you why. You're going to need it, that's why. You're going to need it. And you're going to need it again and again and again and again in your life. And the Lord tells us simply how we can know as His child the forgiveness of our sin and thus have the joy of the Lord restored in our heart. All right, now watch. First John chapter 1 and verse 9. And the verse simply says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, Lord, say, do first. He said, confess, confess. That word comes from a word in the in the language of the New Testament, homilageo, and it's the same word that you'll find back in Romans chapter ten and verse nine. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, so forth. All right, the word confess means to agree with. Or it means to acknowledge. Simply it means to lay out in the open. To expose, as it were. So the Lord is saying, when you become conscious of sin in your life, the first thing you need to recognize is that God wants you to acknowledge that, to lay it out in the open before Him, to confess that sin to Him. Now, the word confess here does not necessarily mean that I have to acknowledge my sin to everybody. There are times when I think it does more harm than it does good for a fellow to get up from the congregation and tell all the thoughts of his mind that have been sinful and everything else. Becomes a juicy piece of gossip for a lot of folks in the church. 
But nonetheless, I'm not talking about that that is never necessary. I think, let me say this before I forget it, and that is, I believe that a public confession of wrong or sin is necessary if it is public knowledge or if the congregation that you're a member of, if that church has been affected by the wrongdoing and the sin of your life is a sin against the church, you need to confess it to the church and ask their forgiveness. And I think that's a thing that we've forgotten. Yet... That word confess does not mean in the greater majority of times that that's what it's calling for. Rather, the Bible teaches something like this. David said, against thee and thee only have I done this evil in thy sight. The prodigal son came back and he said, Father, forgive me, he said, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. Now here's what I want you to see. Our sin is basically against God. And the confession of our sin, if we're to know the forgiveness of God, is going to have to be made to the one against whom we sin. If, for example, I've wronged the pastor, I, it'll do me no good to go over here and say, uh, uh, Dr. Lackey, I, I did Brother Robson wrong, and I've sure hurt him, and I've sinned against him, and I want you to forgive me. Well, Dr. Lackey, a kind man would probably say, I forgive you. But that doesn't do me any good with him. You see what I'm saying? If I'm going to have the pastor forgiveness, I go to him and I say, Brother Robinson, I hurt you and I did wrong and I sinned against you and I want you to forgive me. He's the one who would have to forgive me, is he not? And likewise, if I'm to know God's forgiveness, I'm going to have to come to him. I must come to him. It'll do me no good to go to some fella that dresses like mama and wants everybody to call him father and that sits in some closet with a knot hole in the door and you come down there and tell all you mean to do that knot hole to him. That's not what the confession, the word confess means. Oh no. The word acknowledge, it is an acknowledgement of that sin before God. Now why did the Lord call for an acknowledgement or a bringing out in the open? For the simple reason the nature of man is to hide his sin. The nature of man is to just overlook his sin. Here's what, in other words, here's what happened. I, I become aware of the fact that I've sinned against the Lord. And because of my pride, rather than to have to say, Lord, I've sinned. And hey, the hardest thing you'll ever do as a human being is, is to say, I'm wrong and you're right. Boy, that just rubs the fur on the cat the wrong way, doesn't it, huh? I mean, that just galls a fellow's spirit to have to say I'm right. Isn't that right, men? Huh? In rush your wife. Isn't that, right? Isn't that tough apples, huh? To have to say, honey, you're right. I'm, I'm sorry. And, uh, and, and you women too. Don't be too big. Tough, tough on you too, isn't it, huh? Ah, but that's a difficult thing. Pride. So what do we do instead of confess? I'll tell you what we do. Instead of confessing, oftentimes we excuse our sin. We say, well, you see, everybody's got their little weakness, and, and I've got mine, and this, you know, this is just my nature. And it's just my weakness. Old Lord's got his, and this is mine. So, so what? No need to get upset about it. I'll just excuse my sin. But hey, read this verse. Did the verse say, if we excuse our sin, he is faithful and just forgive us? No, what it said, is it? Again, instead of excusing, maybe, we'll come along with this trick. We'll say, wasn't really my fault. We blame it on somebody else. You ever pulled that old gag? Hey, I'm not really responsible. It wasn't me. And if old so-and-so hadn't acted like he did, I wouldn't act like I did. And if he had said what he said, I would have said what I said. And if my wife hadn't done this, I 
other than that. I, it's not really my fault. Hey, the, here, here's one I hear once in a while. It's my nerves. <laughs> That's the reason I did it. It's my nerves. Now listen, I don't care what you blame it on. I want you to understand something. You need to recognize, regardless of what may have contributed to the sin, that it's sin that's been committed against God. And if you're going to have forgiveness for that sin, you're not going to get it by blaming it on somebody else. So the Lord said to do what? If we will confess our sins, just bring them out in the open before God. Now, not in every case, but in, in some cases. Some folks have paid as much as 40 to $140 to $150 an hour to go to a psychiatrist, and I'm not saying that that's never needed, and that a psychiatrist is not needed on, it's in, at, at, at some point, but many a person spent all that money to go to get a man to just simply get him to face up to something he wasn't willing to face in the first place. Now, it'll be a whole lot cheaper on your pocketbook if you'll just be honest with yourself and honest with God and face up to the wrong you've done, and you'll have a whole lot more peace and comfort inside if you'll just acknowledge when there is wrong, acknowledge the wrong in your life, acknowledge the sin to God. Then, here's another thing we do rather than confess. We argue. You ever argue with God? Boy, the Lord just bears down and He just puts that finger in there and the preacher gets up, you know, like Dr. Lackey or Dr. Rob, uh, Dr. Rob, uh, Robson. And, uh, boy, I mean, they'll just start putting that finger down and, and you'll just you'll say, Lord, not me. No, I, that couldn't be wrong. Old so-and-so does that. You know that Lord and, boy, he's a good Christian, Lord. He does so-and-so. And the Lord said, you know it's wrong. You know it's wrong. You know it's sin. I've told you so in my word in plain, simple English. And yet we'll argue with God. But in no instance did this verse say, if we blame our sin, He'll forgive us. If we excuse our sin, He'll forgive us. If we argue with God about our sin, He'll forgive us. But He said, if we'll confess it. Just that simple. Acknowledge it before Him. All right, now watch. He said, if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. What a word is this word forgiveness. So often in the Bible you'll find this very word forgive or forgiveness. Let me give you this. And if you'd like to jot it down you may. But if not at least remember, remember try to remember part of what I'm saying. There are six words in the original language of the Bible that, are, that is translated forgive or forgiveness. There are three words in the Old Testament language, the Hebrew language, and there are three words in the Greek language that are translated in our English Bible, forgive. But they all give us a real overview or a panoramic view of what the Lord's saying He'll do about your sin if you confess it to Him. In the Old Testament, for example, there is a word that is used only twice in the Old Testament. The word pronounced in English is kapar, C-A-P-A-R. And the word simply means cover. The Lord is saying then twice that He will cover our sin. Now, men try to cover their own sin, but their covering is not sufficient. Adam and Eve tried to cover their nakedness and to make themselves presentable to God by sewing fig leaves together. By the way, 
As little clothes as some folks wear in the summertime in Georgia, it might not hurt us to go back to fig leaves. You're welcome. I know you're not coming back tomorrow night. I'm not either, so we even. But yet I think you know what I mean. They tried to cover their nakedness, make themselves presentable to God, and it wasn't a sufficient covering. So what happened? The Lord slew an animal, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the animal, and uh, the blood was shed, and out of that animal, He made Adam and Eve coats of skin to cover them. Now, when God covers your sin, but it's covered. Achan tried to cover his. He went over the walls of Jericho and took that that was forbidden and, and uh, sanctified to God and set apart for God. And uh, he went over there, took that Babylonian garment, the wedge of gold, shekels of silver, and he, he sneaks back over to his tent, thinks nobody sees him, digs a hole in the floor of his tent, covers it over with his rug, and he thinks, boy, I've covered this up. Nobody know about this. Oh, listen, you will never be able to cover your sin. Jesus said one of these days, the thing that you've whispered, and the claws would be shouted from the housetop. Well, listen, man can't cover sin, but you, when, when a man brings his sin to God and confesses to him and asks the Lord's forgiveness, he said, I'll cover it. All right, there's another word in the Hebrew uh, Old Testament that is translated forgive. And this word, by the way, is used 16 times in the Old Testament. And in the English language, it is simply spelled NASA, N-A-S-A. I want you to think about the news just a minute. You ever read those initials before? NASA? You ever hear that on television news? NASA? National Aeronautics and Space Administration. Now, I don't know if those brilliant scientists know what this word means or not. I assume they do. But if they don't, it'd be good for them to know. The word NASA in the Hebrew language simply means to lift up. And that's what they do with those big rockets down there, do they not? They, uh, and was it today? They fired a fellow from off the Cape, and uh, boy, I mean, away they went. Three of them, one, two or three. Anyway, uh, uh, they, they lifted that rocket up. And those fellows up there in that space capsule, they were lifted up. They were lifted up away from this earth, out into outer space. Now, when the Lord said, I'll forgive you, 1690, he said, I'll lift up. I'll lift that old sin from your life that you're not even to get rid of yourself. When a rocket is fired from this earth, you know what they have to accomplish? They have to have a rocket exert enough power to overcome the power of the force of gravity. <coughs> gravity is pulling downward. So there's got to be enough thrust in those rocket engines that will push that rocket or that, uh, that, uh, that space capsule out of the grasp and out of the pull of the gravity of this earth. So, man may try to catapult his own sin. He may try to throw it away, but you know what will happen? It'll come right back. He can throw it as hard as he can, try as hard as he can, and it'll come right back. But the Lord said, I'll lift it up. I'll remove it from it. I'll lift it up. And you know how he does it? By exerting a greater power than the power that the world, the flesh, or the devil all combined can exert. The Lord said, I'll lift up. I will forgive you. And then there's a third word, Selah, S-A-L-A-H, a long A, Selah. And the word is used 33 times in the Old Testament. And that word is translated in English and simply means send away. That's what the Lord do with his sin. He doesn't say, hey, you're going to have to drag this around the rest of your life. I'll forgive you, but boy, you're going to have to drag it around with you. No, he said, I'm going to send it away from you. 
And that's what the priest did in, in, in symbol when he when, when they gathered the, the congregation of Israel and the priest got up there and put his hands on that animal, confessed the sins, and that animal was led away out in the wilderness. The Lord said, listen, I'll bear your sins away. I'll take them away. Hallelujah. That's enough to make a dried up Baptist want to holler in it, huh? I'm glad that the Lord took away my sins. He sent them away from me. I don't have to drag them around. Afraid they're going to come up and expose me. Oh, no. The Lord said, I sent them away from you. Then there are three words in the Greek New Testament. Three words. First, twice this word is used, apoluo. If you want to remember that, you can. If not, it's all right. A-P-P-O-L-U-O. Apoluo. And the word used twice, and it means to loose away. Loose away. A similar meaning to the word NASA, lift away. The Lord just looses us. You know, sin it has an has a enslaving effect. Uh, it is a bondage. Uh, it, it, it binds a fella. And yet the Lord said, when you bring that sin to me, I'll forgive it. I'll loose away your sin. How many a Christian is bound up by reason of the knowledge of sin? He can't serve God. Can't be the Christian brother or sister that he wants to be and knows he should be. Can't do for God what he knows how to do. He's bound. He is tied up with that sin in his life. Oh, he's tried to out-argue God. And he's tried to blame his meanness on somebody else. He's tried to excuse what he did. Tried to make uh, some excuse for it. But oh, that sin bite him up. The Lord said, if you'll just come and confess it to me, I'll loose away your sin. Not only that, but there is a word used 15 times in the Greek New Testament. And it's the word charizomai. Charizomai. And the word means to be gracious to. To be gracious to. And that is indeed what God does for us when we bring before Him our sin. He manifests grace toward us. He doesn't give us just desserts. He doesn't scold. He does not browbeat. He simply is gracious. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us of His grace what we do not deserve. We've hurt Him. We've wounded Him. We have grieved Him. We have injured Him by our sin. And it seems to me, if it were from the natural standpoint, we'd want to inflict injury on somebody else. But God, the loving, compassionate God that He is, is gracious toward us. When that prodigal son came home to his father in Luke chapter 15, he had squandered the living that his father had made and divided to him and his brother. Now that was the father's labor. He gave that to the son. But you know what that boy did? He went off over yonder far country and threw it away on wild women, on wine, on liquor, on wild parties and everything else. Not only did he do that, waste his father's fortune, but listen, he scarred the name of his family. He brought disgrace upon his father. But when his father saw him yet a great way off, the Bible said that he ran and fell on that boy's neck and kissed him. It seems to me the father would have had a perfect right to say, Don't you come in here, boy. You have disgraced my family. You've disgraced our name. You have squandered every dime I gave you. You are no good and no count. Listen, you don't deserve to come in here. I'm glad he didn't do it. For our Lord is portraying the compassion of the Father uh, to forgive the, love, the, for the repentant sinner. And that's exactly what God does to you and me. We have brought disgrace upon him. But he forgives when we come to him. 
And then 52 times in the New Testament, the word aphiomi is used, and it means the same thing as the most used word in the Old Testament. It means to send away. So the Lord said, I will forgive your sin. And all I ask you to do is confess it. I've paid the price. You are forgiven. And it's yours. I give it to you of my grace. He said, I will forgive you. And not only that, but he said, I'll cleanse you. I don't know of any better word to describe how I feel when I know I've sinned, done wrong, disobeyed God, than the word dirty. I just feel dirty. That's your experience. The Lord said, listen, I'll not only forgive you, but I'll wash you up. I'll clean you up. And as far as I'm concerned, listen, God's saying, as far as I'm concerned from this point on, it never happened. It's all gone. Now the devil may come back and beat you over the head with that sin that you committed. But God said, I, I am not going to forgive you, but I forget it. He said, I'll cast them behind my back and listen, I will remember them against you no more. The only time the Lord doesn't remember anything is when he chooses not to, and he chooses not to remember my sin. An old slew foot can come up to the Lord and say, hey, you don't want a bird? Yes, he's one of mine. But you know what he did? What do you mean what he did? Well, you know back there when he did something, the heavenly father said, I'm sorry, I don't remember that. Why, sure you do. I'm sorry, I, I don't remember anything about that. Why? When I bring my sin to God and confess it, he said, I'll forgive you, and that means he'll send it from the to the sea and not remember it against me anymore. Are you burdened with sin in your life? It's robbed you of joy and blessedness and happiness. I don't know what nature your sin may be, but I'm persuaded of one thing. As a born-again Christian, you know it. You know exactly what God's been dealing to you about this week. No need to try to sidestep the issue. No need to try to go off and face it. For unless you do, it'll be to your spiritual life what a cancer untreated will do to your physical life. It'll destroy you. And like Dr. Lackey said tonight from John 15, you'll wither up. You'll wither. And some of you right now, I think that would be a word to describe the feeling of a sin in your life. Confess it. Face it. And ask God to forgive you. He said he'll do it. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. My soul, I didn't know it. Well, it's not as late as I thought it was. But God spoke in our hearts tonight, effectively through the first message. And I trust that in this message tonight, if God has made you aware of sin in your life, you'll not go one moment more dragging that old heavy weight around with you. He'll forgive you if you'll acknowledge it. I wonder how many people and I'd say, Brother Burl, I'm aware of sin in my life. I don't know of what nature it may be. Sin, sin, God's sight. That's between you and God. But you'll say, Preacher, I know it, and God's been dealing with me about it. And I've been doing like you said, I've blamed on somebody else. I've excused it. I've tried to argue with God. I've tried to bury it, ignore it.
But I know it's there, and I want to face it right now and ask God in heaven to forgive me of my sin. How many of you will say that and mean it with all your heart? I want you to slip your hand up big and high with you. God bless you. Amen, 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 amen. Others of you, God bless you. That's right. Listen, that's between you and God. I'm not asking you to tell me. But down in your heart, God's spoken to you these days. And you're really aware of something that's been between you and God. And you'll say, Lord, right now, I'm asking you to forgive me. How many others? God bless you. God bless you. Are there others? Maybe somebody you to hear tonight, you need to forgive yourself. God's already forgiven you. You're dragging that old thing around. You're letting the devil use it as a club on you. He's telling you you're not worthy to do for God. You're not worthy to be this. You're not worthy to be a witness. You're not worthy to pray. You're not, well, listen, if God forgave you, God forgot it. And you need to learn to forgive yourself. But maybe I'm talking to somebody, you need the forgiveness of somebody else. If you had it to do all over again, you wouldn't have done what you did before. You wouldn't have said what you said. You wouldn't have reacted like you did. But say, the truth is, you can't relive it. And if you've done the wrong thing, or said the wrong thing, or reacted the wrong way, the thing to do is just face it. If there's something, listen, if there's something that stands between you and a brother or sister in Christ, why not acknowledge that? If they're aware of it, you're aware of it, just face it. And get the thing squared up. It's, it, it's, it's dwarfing your life. It's defeating your life. It's cheating you of the joy and the blessedness that the Father wants you to have. I wonder, is there anyone else not you? Preacher, I need forgiveness. And I ask God to forgive me. And if I need to ask somebody to forgive me, I'm going to do that. And if I need to forgive myself, I want you to pray that God will help me to do that. How many of you just lift your hand up? Anywhere else. God knows your heart. I don't have to know it. God bless you. God bless you. I just want to know how to pray for you and pray with you. Anyone else? Just a moment. Just a moment. I'm going to ask you then, if you will, stand to your feet, please. Our heads are bowed. I'd like for us to sing tonight a stanza so, a couple of stanzas. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I'm the clay. Now listen, the thing to do is do what you know you ought to do. And if God's impressed your heart to make a move tonight, you move. If you had to impress your heart to move, don't move. I don't have to turn in a record to anybody. I hadn't built my ministry on how many decisions, quote, unquote, was made. I just want to be faithful to God, and I'm asking you, for your sake and for the Savior's sake, you be faithful to Him. And while we sing the first and last stanzas, if God has spoken to your heart about a special need, and you sense the need to just walk down this aisle publicly, bow at this altar, and make things right with God in your own heart. You, you come without any hesitation. You come. Tell it to God. Make this commitment in your life tonight. Make this new start in your life. While we sing it, I'll ask you to come. Father, these who've lifted their hands, give them grace to do what you impress them to do for Christ's sake. Heads bowed, let's sing it, and you do what God's asking you to do. Sing it.